0: Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help us out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773 now let's continue the conversation. Hi there everyone and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. Today's guest is a psychologist and author of the new book coming out, Myself Again, The Parent's Postpartum Survival Guide. It's coming out November 17th, so check for it on Amazon. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Gabriel Marin. Welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I am so excited to have you here. Um, so, so much to talk about. So we're going to dive right in. And um, I really love for my guests to just start out with their personal connection to maternal depression and anxiety. Um, I, I have yet to really meet someone who's in this field that has not had their own personal experience because it's so powerful. So mm-hmm. I always love my guests to, sh- to share that story. So. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I have um, I've been doing this work uh, formally for a little over 10 years, but before that my career was other kind of women's health issues. I'd worked in eating disorders. um, I did alcohol work, that kind of thing. So I've always kind of done women's health stuff um, and then sort of transitioned to the the perinatal mental health world 10 years ago. And uh, so I started seeing patients at the time. I was not yet a mother when I started, um, which was sort of interesting. And uh, Uh, what what is sort of my connection to this is that when I finally had my child, uh, she's nine now, she just turned nine. And I remember thinking going into um, the postpartum period, like, I got this. I literally do this for a living. I'm a psychologist. I know all the tricks to take care of your mental health. Um, And so I clearly lulled myself into a sense of complacency because then my child showed up and I uh, was not my best self in any way, shape or form. And I think for me, it almost made it harder that I thought I should have been doing better. I shouldn't be feeling this way, I should know better. I literally help people who feel this way and like I couldn't do it for myself. Um, And I remember so clearly like, you know, so, I went to a lot of school, right? If you go to a lot of school, you're kind of used to using your brain to solve problems. And so when I needed, you know, any sort of challenge, like how do I, you know, fix this light switch, right? Like I go online and you read about it, you're like, oh, I can fix this light switch, whatever, right? Um, And so what I discovered very quickly was that the postpartum brain isn't great at their critical thinking skills to solve the problem. So like, you know, my child, why is she screaming? Like, how do I calm her down? What do we do for sleep? Like, oh, like, should I get this bassinet or will this bassinet be the one that kills her? You know, like all those things you read online, right? Like everything is like, do this technique. It's amazing. And then the next blog post is it will kill your baby. And I remember so clearly having, not having that tool of my brain because I had slept three hours and I had, I'm still recovering from a vaginal birth. I was beaten up, if you will. Right. And the, the, panic and anxiety that my go-to coping, um, wasn't available to me. And so, uh, so I was not my best self. And, w- um, so I think to myself, like, you know, if, if I struggle and I kind of had the tools going into it, you know, the average person, oh my gosh, it's even that much harder. And so, uh, so that has changed my practice a hundredfold. Uh, You know, when I came back for maternity leave, I saw those patients and understood them and took different angles to help them because I had that
0: experience myself. I have never heard somebody put it like you just did. And my mind just blew up a little bit (laughs) because I think there are so many of us, especially people that are in the field, whether they're psychiatrists themselves, therapists, nurses, you know, and they think, you know, I know it's okay. Like I'm going to be fine because I know how, I know how to do this. Um, not ever thinking that because of the sleep deprivation and the, tra- the possible trauma of the birth and just a million and one things that are just different after you have the baby, that those tools that you had may not work for you because you can't even access them. You don't know how to even use them because you're such in a different space. Yeah. So I've, I, yeah, you're, you're hundred percent critical thinking skills.
1: (laughs) Gone. Totally gone. They're just, Oof! No, they're gone, not, and, and probably didn't totally retain them again for maybe like eight weeks.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. We call it like the mommy brain, right? Like yeah. you're just, yeah. you just can't like what you used to be able to do. Just mm-hmm. you can't. You can't do. Yeah. And, and, and actually, I think long- actually,
1: there's some really interesting. It's very new research. It's like still at like like the animal rat phase um, around mommy brain, not being just about sleep deprivation is that actually biologically, when you're pregnant, things happen automatically that start to restructure your brain to give your brain more focus in areas to keep babies alive. Like one of the areas that gets more attention again in rats still is something called the theory of mind the part of your brain that does that. And what theory of mind is, is the ability to like, um, sort of interact with another person and imagine what they're thinking or what they need, right? And duh, of course we need that with humans, right? So like the idea being that it's gonna take cognitive resources away from one part of the brain, restructure it so that theory of mind kind of gets more gas. To keep our humans alive, right? So from a, like an evolutionary perspective, that makes a million sense, right? It makes a million sense. Um, so when that, when I started again, very new, when I read that, I was like, so it's not just a feeling or a phenomenon or sleep deprivation. Like your body has prepared you to take care of this baby and kind of being like, you don't need to remember um, the shopping list off the top of your brain. Brain's like, you don't need that. That's miscellaneous. Keep human alive. Need to do that.
0: Oh my gosh. And by the way, I am like obsessed with research. Like, I love reading research papers. Like, that's just like, I love yeah. it. And so, think about how research like that could totally revolutionize the way we prepare parents. 100%. And, right. And like, and all of that this would take a long time to happen, but for all that guilt that moms feel to kind mm-hmm. of go away, because you know what, it's biological, like it's, you know, this is, this is likely going to happen. So here's what we're going to do about it. Oh, I yeah. just got goosebumps. Oh, and I just hit my mic. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I love doing exciting.
1: that because there's so much of, um, you know, just in talking with patients and, and, and helping them feel better and, you know, doing cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever we're doing is there are so many things around, um, the biology of mental health that is, um, most people don't know, right. It's like, it's willpower or I should just smile or whatever the sort of like unhelpful adages are, you know, but really like, you know, like trauma is another one, right. People are like, well, why am I doing this? Like, you know, and I won't launch into like all of it here. Right. But like, there are absolute anatomical biological things that happen when someone experiences a trauma of any type that when I tell, explain that to someone, it literally translates one-to-one to the behavior they're seeing. So it's not that I've, you know, quote unquote, lost my mind or have no control over my body anymore, right? Like your brain did something to protect itself. And here's this behavior, you know, and I think that's so relieving because when we don't know why something is happening, I think that human brains hate that right? Like, even if I can go like, Hey, you feel terrible, but this is why people are like, Oh, that makes so much more sense. Um, And then it's less scary and less kind of nebulous and that kind of thing. Um, And I think in the postpartum period, that's it. If you're like, kind of in my experience, like I knew what to expect um, academically. Right. And I'd heard plenty of stories from people and stuff like that, but we are such creatures of experience. We all know this, right? Like You've all been told by your doctor, like you should do X and like people don't do it. Right. And then finally, like they do it and they're like, this is so helpful. Right. And so when you finally do it for yourself, you're like, now I know what they're talking about. Um, and that's so much more impactful. So I think.
0: Absolutely. I always encourage my moms who seek out treatment from professionals, you know, to not only just have the professional talk to you, but to almost educate you and teach you why what's happening is happening. My -hmm. psychologist did that with me. And it was just like, Oh my goodness. This makes so much sense. Not yeah. just, you know, this is how you feel. So we're going to give you this medication. Like, right, no, right. like what's going on in my brain In complete layman's terms, you know, but I mean, it's, it makes sense and it makes you feel better and it takes the stigma away from it. And it's like, okay, now I totally get it. My brain is broken. This is how we're going to fix it and heal it and yep. so on and so forth. Yeah,
1: so. I always think too, like in that place of the knowing of the why gives you the something to fight against as opposed to fight against yourself. Um, you know, uh, uh, I preach this to my patients all the time, right? Like we cannot stop you from having feelings. Uh, Our brains do that. And actually like a lot of feelings are valuable, anger, valuable, guilt, valuable, right? Like, but it's not, so it's not the having of the feeling. It's like, what do we do with it? Right. So we're going to guarantee I'm going to do something as a mom. That's going to make me feel guilty. I should have done that differently. Right. So what do we do next? Do I, ruminate about it for four days and beat myself up and convince myself that I'm a terrible mother. Or do I go, hmm, that's a good learning experience. You know, when my toddler gets me to like that nuclear level 10, I need to do something different. So I'm not yelling at him. You know, right. and it's so it's the after effect that you then have control over. You're going to have the feeling, that's just going to happen. But what you do with it is where you get the say. And then that's empowering. Oh I'm oh. not just a kind of a um a slave to my feelings and I have to ride the wave. You know, I can actively do something about it.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that, man. Oh, so excited. Okay. So let's get into kind of what you do now, because sure. I definitely want to talk about the book coming out. Yeah. Um, but talk about, you know, I know you work in a really large medical kind of conglomerate. So talk about that. Um, yeah. and where you're based out of, cause I don't even think I mentioned that. So I'll go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, I am, uh, I work in a very large healthcare organization. So multidisciplinary, you know, every specialty under the sun, um, big hospital, um, in the twin cities in, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, give or take, we're in this kind of Minneapolis plus the suburbs, that kind of thing. Um, on, uh, our organization, I believe has about a hundred and excuse me, 1,700 clinicians. Of all different specialties, so we're pretty big. Our behavioral health department alone um, has 160 employees. Um, um, about 102 of those are clinicians, so therapists and psychiatrists. So we're we're a huge clinic in and of itself, if we, even if we weren't part of a, a bigger organization. So um, so uh, we have our main hospital um, does about 3,000 births a year. We have a huge OB/GYN. Um, cl- um, specialty, main clinic, lots of sub um, sub and like sort of primary care settings. And so um, 11 years ago, right before I came um, to my organization, 10 years ago, um, 11 years ago, um, the chair of our department at that time, and then the chairs of OB, PEDS and family medicine got together and they were like, you know, no one's talking about maternal mental health and we got to do something about it. So I was actually hired to come in and build a maternal mental health screening and treatment program, um, which was awesome and exciting and all of that jazz. And so many lessons learned, uh, how do you get people on board and do it in this huge system? And so, so over the years, it's, we've tweaked it and refined it and that sort of thing. But what it looks like now is um, most of our patients, um, if they um, do their prenatal care, with us likely have their baby in our hospital. And most of the time also then keep their children with us uh, for pediatrics. Um, So we kind of get to see a mom or a parent kind of from soup to nuts, which is great because then we can keep them all, everything in house. And, you know, it's a lot easier to treat any patient when their medical record is all in one spot. And so that's kind of an advantage that we have. So um, what our program looks like nowadays is we have a, a set protocol for when we screen uh, pregnant people and um, in the postpartum period, so uh, we use the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. It's kind of the it's been around for a million years. Um, sometimes people use the PHQ nine, the uh, Patient Health or, Yeah Patient Health Questionnaire nine. Um, we use the EPDS uh, specifically because it takes out the sort of sleep and somatic questions that the PHQ nine has. So you get basically a three on both of those, and you have a six, and it's easy to kind of have a kind of a high positive when it's just because you're tired because it's you have a three-week old right um, so we use the, the um the epds and basically what happens is we have again this protocol for screening um in the first trimester second trimester third trimester six-week postpartum visit and then at the baby's one week two month four month six month well child visit so kind of the idea is from first prenatal to the baby's six month birthday we're going to screen people obviously it's voluntary, but like somewhere around seven ish times, um, using the EPDS. And so that's great. Um, but I think what we did that other systems, some systems kind of stop there and then leave it to, uh, the clinician in the room to know what to do with that. Right. <laughs> and, um, Uh, A lot of times OBs and midwives are good at that because they're used to mental health. Are you working with pregnant people and women and, and that sort of thing, but pediatricians have a harder time because the patient is the baby, not the adult. And so, um, what we decided to do with that was, well, like they're doing the screenings and we taught, we did a lot of training around, like, how do you have conversations and all of that, but ultimately like, let's get that back to the behavioral health experts, right? That's what we do. You wouldn't go to the orthopedic surgeon if you have a sinus infection, right? Same kind of thing. So um, what happens in our system is those EPDSs are administered at the office visit for mom or for baby. They get electronically put into the medical record. And then anybody who who is, we um, we have a cut score for like, what's a positive? All the positive scores get electronically sent to a queue that um, two care coordinators in behavioral health review. And so anybody that scores a positive um, on that, we then do outreach to. One of our big things was, hey, you have a three-week-old, you're recovering from a C-section and it's January in Minnesota, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like the tradition is that the patient has to come to the medical world. You have to call and make the appointment. And what we were like, well, that's not fair and easy for that new parent. So we're going to call them. So when someone gets a positive, we do two calls. We do outreach phone calls. We also have in our electronic medical record, a way to like email people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we reach out to them when we get a hold of them, our care coordinator does like a little kind of like biopsychosocial assessment, how you do and how's the baby doing, how's feeding going, how are you sleeping, who are your supports? Are you safe? That kind of thing. And then in that call, they will do a couple of things. They'll, um, you know, do some resource brokering. Hey, maybe it's a lactation issue. And she doesn't know that she can call our lactation consultants and set up. And nowadays a virtual appointment, right? right? So, or she needs a community resource or um, a support group out um, in the world, that kind of thing. Or she's like, well, I want a, um, I want an appointment with a therapist. So then that care coordinator can do the warm handoff and literally transfer them into behavioral health intake to set that up. Um, and that has been when we added that component, that was really great um, because it took the pressure off the primary care doctor. Um, number one, because that's not their expertise, and number two, like we've all been in doctors. But I mean, those doctors have like 20 minutes to do a million and one things, right? So like it takes the pressure off of them. And so um, the other thing that when I have spoken with other systems who are kind of trying to build their program that I am a, such a believer in is that. You can do the screenings, do the screenings in primary care. Great. But if there is not an immediate place to refer to qualified, trained behavioral health people, you're missing half the story. Because again, to sort of say, hey, mom, um, you scored a 16 on the EPDS. Sounds like things are hard. And she's like, yeah, I want a therapist. And if the answer is then call your insurance company and see who's in network, like, That's just not practical. She won't do it or she won't do it for three months. And now that depression is much worse than it was before, you know? Right. So again, this theme for us of like keeping it in-house, everyone is in the system. So they don't need to make referrals. All their insurance is covered because it's our, you know, if our our system takes your insurance, it takes it for every department. Right. Um, And so the other sort of um, thing that I was tasked with was building, was kind of building this team. Um, And our team currently um, comprises of um, nine female therapists of differing um, degrees and specialties. Um, We have three female psychiatrists, excuse me, nine therapists who specialize in adults. We have three who specialize in kids, so teens, Um, three female psychiatrists, and then I have a social work care coordinator. Um, And so that is, we are kind of the go-to team that if someone wants it, they kind of get put on our schedule. And the other thing that I think we did that was was important and valuable is that the the clinicians on that team have special intake appointments that are dedicated for pregnant and postpartum people. Um, So they don't have to kind of fight with the general mental health, which we all know across the country, access has always been challenging. It's 12 times worse um, in the pandemic, and so to have this sort of pipeline, so all she, you know, we're going to call her on the phone after she gets the positive EPS. She says yes, I want an appointment. We transfer to um, our intake department. Our intake department puts her in one of these special appointments with a clinician who is trained and qualified, and to sort of take all of that out of out of their hands when you've had three hours of sleep and your baby's screaming and the dog is barking and you know all of that, and so. Um, so I'm really proud of that because that's um, that's a big endeavor and we built it in a huge system and we've been doing it for 10 years now. And so, um, so yeah, it was nice. A couple of years ago in, was it 2018? Um, we got recognized um, nationally as, for an award in clinical innovation for that. Uh, which was awesome because you sort of do this thing and you know it works. And then when other people go, that's great, it's always kind of a nice pat on the back. So. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it it kind of circles back to when you had talked about, you know, not having those critical thinking skills and asking a mom to call your insurance company. I mean, even when I've had enough sleep and I'm doing well, having knowing that I have to call my insurance company is like very stressful, right? You know, you're on hold, you're, oh my gosh. Well, and then we're going to
1: start to use all this jargon that you don't Know what you're like? Deductible, out-of-pocket mm-hmm. max. What, what does pays,
0: that mean? Like, All of that I does. Yeah. my HRA, FSA. Like I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I mean that's yep. ugh, that's super stressful. So let's move into talking about your book. It's coming out November seventeenth. It's called "Myself Again: The Parents Postpartum Survival Guide," and I really want you to talk about how this came about with you. I know you're involved with. um centering pregnancy, the program, which mm-hmm. I'm familiar with through my own work at healthy mothers, healthy babies at Palm Beach County. So this is like, so cool to talk to somebody else, um, who's familiar with centering pregnancy. It's, um, for those of you that don't know what it is, it's group prenatal care and it's, it's a really cool model. Um, it's research-based evidence-based it's fantastic. Um, and I know that they would bring, uh, you and your partner into kind of, I think you said, uh, there's 10 classes, right? 10 yep. classes. In yeah. That? We so call like, it at
1: number nine, like yeah. number
0: nine to kind of talk about, you know, the depression part and in the mental health and all of that. So yeah. how did, so I love the title and I know that's kind of part of the whole thing. So yeah. go ahead and tell our, viewers yeah, that.
1: yeah, absolutely. So, um, yes, the midwives in our system do centering pregnancy. They probably have at any time, you know, four or five groups running at the same time pre pandemic. That was a Yeah hard one to do during pandemic, but they will come back. And so um, my colleague, her name is Michelle, Wersgala. She is a reproductive psychiatrist. Um, So the two of us would kind of come in on session nine and we would sort of joke and say like, do our dog and pony show about how to take care of yourself and your mental health in the postpartum period. You know, and a lot of times in centering pregnancy, they're first time parents, right? So they're kind of looking at you glassy eyed a little bit like, you know, and the you know the pregnant person is like 38 weeks you know pregnant so they're just like i'm just trying to get through every day right um but what was great about this we did this for gosh before the pandemic we were doing that for 7 8 years like a really long time and we would always get lovely feedback from the midwives right like that the feedback was that that was people's favorite um you know session and that they used those things that you taught them and it was so helpful blah 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 right so we were like oh that's great and so um in the Winter of 2019, we were doing one of these and we walked out uh, to take the elevator back down to our cars. And we both looked at each other and literally at the same time, we're like, we should write this in a book so that we're not just doing clumps of 10 people at a time that we could get hundreds and thousands. And we are so, um, so yeah, so we started this book thing uh, in January of 2019 and I uh, had to jump through lots of administrative hoops with our organization to, to get things all copesthetic and, and all of that jazz, cause this is not part of our normal job. Right. Um, we are not like academic writers and our, you know, we're clinicians. Um, and so, so yeah, so the idea is, is that it is, um, uh, how do you feel like yourself again? We have, uh, the title comes from both Michelle and I, you know, dozens and dozens of times have people come in and say, on a first appointment, we say, what brings you in? And they say, you know, I don't know what's wrong, but I'm just not my normal self or my typical self. And we would hear that over and over and over again. And so this idea of how, how can I be myself again, um, uh, is kind of where it all came from. And so it kind of fit, fit perfectly. So we were like, that's gotta be the title.
0: Yeah. I love it. That's, I think that title is absolutely perfect. So, so, so you wanted to do the book so that you could, you know, expand it and give this information to so many more people. So who, who is the audience? Like, who are you Mm -hmm. like, you know what, you got to get out there right now and and either go on Amazon. Right. And I think you can click like a remind me, like when this book comes out kind of thing, um, it's coming out November 17th, but who, who, who needs, who needs this book?
1: Yeah. And you can also, if you want the Kindle version, you can pre-order the Kindle version now and it will be then Automatically downloaded on the 17th. Um, oh, if you want nice. the hard copy, you have to wait until the 17th to order it. So, <laughs> um, so we think, and we wrote it for everyone. Um, in the book, um, we really purposely geared things towards parents and not mothers. Um, certainly, there are times when we talk about mothers because we're talking about research and um, you know information that's specifically related to kind of like the birth person. Um, but really, we think it's for all parents because both mom, dad, spouse, partner, the other person, as well as the birthing person goes through a lot when a baby shows up and everybody needs to take care of themselves. And so the, the, our kind of general approach was how do you from early on, hopefully postpartum, take good care of yourself, self-care and mental health and physical health so that your mood can be Um, more stable and maybe we nip things in the bud or make a depression um, help it not be as severe as it could but really the idea being is that how can you feel well so that you can feel yourself and be the kind of parent that you want to be so we think it's for everyone my grand plan to take over the world is that our book becomes um, an automatic thing that you put in the gift basket um, at a baby shower you buy your friend some onesies um, some pacifiers off the registry, and you buy, uh, buy our book and put it in there because we're going to destigmatize mental health. We're just going to talk about this. The book is in their house already. So when baby comes in, it's already there um, that's my, that's my grand plan to take over the world.
0: And I was just going to, I was actually just going to say that this would be the absolute perfect gift for new parents. And the title really lends itself to being, um, you know, this whole survival guide kind of thing. It's not so like serious, like, you know, yep there are some wonderful books out there about, but they can be heavy. Yep. they can be extremely heavy. Yep. Um, so this is more light that, you know, it would be great. And I love the, I, I was able to see the cover of the book, um, cause you had held it up for me and it's just, I love the cover of the book. Like it's very so, modern it's approachable light. and Yep. Super personable, um, yep. and I know that you had mentioned you know parents don't have a lot of time, you know, to sit mm-hmm. down and, and read these long chapters. So talk yep. about how you present the the information in the book.
1: Yeah, that was um, that was absolutely one of our our main goals was assume that that in a moment you may literally only have five minutes, and and the kind of what between sort of the quick hitting, easy access, practical strategies. And for those of you who've read maybe some dep- uh, books on postpartum depression or anxiety, they are wonderful, but they're 300 pages about just depression, which is a lot and that's daunting. So our basically our 250 pages cover depression, anxiety, dads and non-birth parents, traumatic childbirth, right? So it's the sort of introduction and quick hit of all of these things in one spot. Um, and one of the ways that we sort of structure each chapter, each chapter looks virtually identical. We talk about um, signs and symptoms, um, myths about depression, um, when to get help, all of that stuff. And then each chapter ends with um, our acronym that we created and the parents guide. So when you say the parents guide to postpartum survival or um, survival guide, um, parents is all caps. And what we did was we took um, key areas of self-care and um, sort of um, stress reduction and created um, an acronym mnemonic for each one. So in the depression chapter, we'll go through each of those letters and give you specific strategies, easy strategies to use if you're feeling sad or use if you're feeling anxious. And so the, the acronym um, is that. So the first P, parents, um, the first P stands for practice patience. And we sort of talk a lot about ways to kind of give yourself grace and to like see the big picture as opposed to that moment when you're like feeling overwhelmed. The A is for activities for yourself. It's very easy to lose yourself in parenting um, and kind of lose track of the things that bring you joy. And so we're, again, practical strategies of how to incorporate those things back in your life. The R is rest and sleep, of course, but we give lots of really easy to use strategies on how do you get sleep when you're not gonna sleep eight hours in a row for a while. That's just the bottom line, right? Um, e is for exercise and movement. We know that exercise is a natural antidepressant, but again, how do you do that in a practical way? The N is for nutrition. Um, There are no secret um, diets to improve your mental health, but there are certainly things that you can do that are better, but it's really, again, how do you incorporate easy, healthy nutrition into a very busy life when you may only have five minutes now? Um, The T is for time with others. Again, that makes sense that even the most introverted person, um, human beings are creatures of community. And so how do we kind of not isolate ourselves? And we always think of this, particularly in Minnesota in January, like there's days when it's literally unsafe (laughs) to take your newborn outside because it's negative 10. So how do you not um, develop that that sort of pattern of isolation? And then the T, the last one is for um, support network. Um, there is the unfortunate myth right now that that you are supposed to bring home a baby and do that all on your own typically um, as mothers. And I always tell people never in millennia until recently have we ever done that because you always had your mother and your sister and your auntie and your cousins and you had people close by and families never brought babies into the world by themselves. We don't have that same community now built in. So the idea is like, how do you then ask for help, be okay asking for help um, and what kind of help to ask for. So, so each chapter has these sort of quick hitters. You can flip, like if you really like, um, and we remind people of this in the book, let's say like the A, the activities for yourself, like that really speaks to you. Well, then you can go through every chapter and read every A, even if you're kind of like feeling more sad. And so it really is meant to be sort of bounce around. You don't have to read it cover to cover. You can choose um, pages and chapters and, and all of that jazz. So um, make it easy to use basically.
0: I love the acronym and I love like for that you put um, rest and sleep. Cause I know like when you got to get some sleep, 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 sleep. And you're like, I'm not going to sleep but also moms don't understand that rest can be very beneficial. And what does that look like? Right. Right. Just kind of, you know, sitting on the couch, not like constantly pacing. And when we have those symptoms of, you know, a a maternal mental health complication and for anxious, we do feel like we need to, you know, we're moving all you know, we're constantly Mm -hmm. in motion. Um, And then the exercise and movement, because I know exercise can be just like so daunting, like, Oh my gosh, I can't do 30 minutes of whatever you know just walk just just walk yeah. like yeah. You know,
1: move yeah. just move a if, little <laughs> if the um if the word parent somehow magically had an M in it, we would have had it the only movement <laughs> because you know that, that's actually you've you picked up on something that we talk about all the time number one like you're not going to be medically cleared for weeks after the birth anyways and i don't know too many women even if after six weeks um, and they're medically cleared. They're like, I want to go like on the elliptical or jump right. on my Peloton or whatever yeah. the thing is. Right? right. Some, right. But, um, you don't have to like be dripping in sweat to like get the body movement and, and then, right. and then also the mental health benefits right? of, of movement and, and raising the heart rate a little bit. So,
0: exactly. so yeah,
1: so it's, it's, um, it's really the way we kind of look at it is, you know, you bring, you have a baby. And this, and I could also say this book is like, it's good if you're on baby number two, three, et cetera. And because we, I often see patients of mine who um, had the first baby and maybe, you know, I don't know them, right? But they they struggled. And so now they're pregnant with baby number two or they just had baby number two. And so they come and they're like, I don't want to recreate that, but like, I've done this before. So you, I should be able to do it now, right? So this myth that just because I've had a newborn once, right? And I always remind people, I'm like, well, you've never had a newborn and a two and a half year old, right? You know, and so I think really, um, you know, for at least the first three children in your family, you're reinventing the wheel every time. My patients who have bigger families, they're like, "Ah, after you get past four, it's kind of all chaos, right? Right, right? So that idea of just because you cared for a newborn, you haven't had to care for a newborn, a toddler, and yourself and your relationship, et cetera, um, before. So, um, you really, those, the, all these strategies kind of apply to like that period, regardless of how big your family is.
0: Yeah. Such a good point. I never even man, you're blowing my mind today. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap it up, but I always like to ask my guests if there's anything that they want to say, you know, to the, to our listeners, um, you know, it it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't even have be yeah. related to maternal mental health. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to say?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, this one, I will relate, relate this to maternal mental health because, um, it's, Something that I think gives moms and dads um, more guilt than they should. They should have zero guilt about this. But this myth that um, my life is complete now that I'm a parent, and I love every minute of it. If someone tells you that, they are not telling the truth. Because when when you look honestly at it, right? Like parenting is hard. Children are hard. Babies are hard. Teenagers are hard, right? Um, and so that like. We want people to feel well and be their best self, but parenting will have hard, difficult, challenging moments, and those challenging moments don't make you a bad parent.
0: So true. Oh, we will definitely leave it at that for sure. Well, Dr. Marin, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. Yay, thank you for I'm having me. So yeah, and you have um you have a really great day, okay? Thank Dr. you. Well, thank you so much. Bye-bye.